0: Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm so happy that you're listening in today. In fact, if you're listening for the first time or you'd just like to reach out, send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. What is the faith of the next generation worth? What about the faith of everyone else that you know? What would you do to make sure they knew about Jesus and how he has changed your life? What is that worth? Today, we get to hear from our executive minister, John Sutphin, as he answers those questions. Let's get started. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. (laughs) I want to welcome you to Capital City. We're glad you've taken time to come and join us on this day of worship. Uh, As you've heard or already seen, it's a very special day. And uh, if by chance uh, you're one of those who just remembered it's Mother's Day, and I uh, haven't been to the store yet. I've got some Hallmark cards I'll sell you this morning. Uh, so, feel free. Um, I'm taking, uh, taking uh, bids on them. So, who will start me at $50? Anybody? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But, but seriously, if, if uh, you just... Oh, it is Mother's Day. I got you covered. So, you just come see me after service, okay? Actually, I had like twice that many. So, if that tells you anything about the people in the first service, they forgot as well. So, don't feel bad, Okay. As I, as I was doing, doing some digging around on the internet uh, this week, I ran across this uh, uh, web link that said, 23 differences between moms and dads parenting style. And since it is Mother's Day, I thought I would just share a few of them with you this morning. How many of you do it this way when you go to the grocery store with your kids? Moms, you know, you get the cart. How many of you dads just use the stroller that you've got your kid in and just pile it? You, you do that? Anybody willing to admit? Of course, if your wife's in here, you don't want to admit that, do you? I understand. How about this one when it comes to feeding your kite you know, the moms with the nice little spoon the dad's got the big loaf of bread with I don't know if that's I'm figured out if that's baloney or round spam that he's trying to shove into the mouth of, uh, of mouth of his child there how about this when it comes to playing with your kids you know moms you like building blocks dad you've got the leaf blower <laughs> huh okay Who, who's willing to admit you've done that with your child anybody I see a few hands I even saw a mom over here raise her hand there we go that's my kind of woman right there Uh, How about this one? You take your kid to the amusement park. How many of you moms get on the little ride with the umbrella to protect him from the sun? And then you dads are on the drop zone, you know, 100 foot up, got your kid scared to death, you know, kind of thing there. And then uh, last but not least, when it comes time to Halloween, how many of you moms, you get your child? Yeah. You put your child in the little lamb costume and the dad's got the drunken biker outfit going on there. I'm not sure if that's symbolic of dad or what it is, but uh, (laughs) hopefully. Hopefully not. Let's get started. Anna Jarvis was the eighth child born into a family with 11 kids who were from Grafton, West Virginia. Every year in May, we remember something that she did. Anna was at her mom's bedside on the night that she passed away in May of 1905. Three years later, Anna convinced her church, Andrews Methodist, where she and her mom taught Sunday school for years to hold a special Mother's Day service in honor of mothers on the anniversary of her own mom's passing. And so on that Sunday morning, May 10th, 1908, Anna gave a white carnation, her mom's favorite flower, to every mother who attended that day. In 1910, West Virginia became the first state to recognize a formal Mother's Day. And on May 10th, 1913, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a resolution officially recognizing Mother's Day. And on May 9th, 1914, by an act of Congress, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May to be celebrated as Mother's Day all across the United States. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. And today we pause to celebrate moms. And yet I know that today is a tough day for many who are here or who may be watching us on Facebook this morning. It's a tough day because this may be your first day without your mom. It's my 12th and it's still tough. I know that today is tough for some because you want to be or had hoped to be experiencing the joy of motherhood by this time in your life, but it just hasn't happened yet. And I know that today is tough for some because you have experienced the pain of losing a child. Or you are estranged from your mom and there's a hurt there that you long to heal. And I don't want to add to your pain or to your heartache this day, but I truly believe God values motherhood and he desires for us to share his passion with them. And so today we pause to celebrate those who we call mom. President Theodore Roosevelt was once quoted as saying, when all is said and done, it is the mother and the mother only who is a better citizen than the soldier who fights for his country. The successful mother, the mother who does her part in rearing and training aright the boys and girls who are the men and women of the next generation is of greater use to the community and occupies, if only she would realize it, a more honorable as well as important position than any man in it. She is more important by far than any successful statesman or businessman, or artist, or scientist. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? And so as we celebrate moms today, I want to introduce you to two ladies whose names are only mentioned on one occasion in the Bible. And although not much is recorded about them, they had a significant influence and left a tremendous legacy for all to follow. Now speaking of influence, here's one for you from the You Thought Your Mama Was Tough Category. Check this one out. Amy Chua made the New York Times bestseller list in 2011 for her book entitled Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom. Chua and her husband are both, uh, have two daughters, Sophia and Louisa. And she and her husband are both law professors at the Yale Law School. Her book is a memoir of her journey in being a strict parent. And when I say strict, I'm talking a whole nother level. <laughs> than what you may be thinking. She writes in her book, a lot of people wonder how Chinese parents raise such, uh, pro- or excuse me, produce so many math, or excuse me, blah, blah, I lost myself there. A lot of, I'll just read it off the screen, shouldn't I? A lot of people wonder how Chinese parents raise such stereotypically successful kids. They wonder what these parents do to produce so many math whizzes and music prodigies, what it's like inside the family and whether they could do it too. Well, I can tell them because I've done it. Now, here's a list of some of the things her children were never allowed to do. Did you catch that? Never allowed to do. Attend a sleepover. Have a play date. Be in a school play. Watch TV or play computer games. Get any grade less than an A. Not be the number one student in every subject except for gym and drama. Play any instrument other than the violin. Or the piano? (laughs) Wow. Right? And you thought yours was tough. But the question remains, is this what being a parent is all about? Is this the kind of influence that we want to have on our kids, or is there something of even greater influence and importance? This past week, some of our staff attended the DRIVE conference at North Point Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. North Point has this guy there by the name of Andy Stanley who serves as their lead pastor. Have you heard that name before? I hear he's a pretty good speaker and uh, apparently a pretty accomplished author as well. Well, in our third session, he started off by asking us a question that I would like for you to ponder just as I have done so these past few days. But before he asked the question, he said, I'm going to give you the answer because I want to make sure you have the right answer to the question. And I'm going to help you out this morning by giving you the answer to the question as well. Sound fair? So here's the answer. The word everything. Say that with me. Everything. Now here's the question. What is the faith of the next generation worth? Everything. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy with me. Uh, maybe you don't carry one of those Bibles around anymore, but you, you've got an app on your phone, a Bible app on your phone. I encourage you to maybe open that up and find 2 Timothy. It's over in the New Testament near the end of it. If you don't have an app on your phone, I would encourage you to download the Version Bible app. It's a great Bible app that you can use uh, to read, to study, to do daily devotionals. If you follow us in our Facebook group, we do a lot of uh, devotionals that we encourage you to follow along with us, and those all come from YouVersion. So we invite you to come and be a part of that with us. Well, the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to his young friend, who also happens to be a preacher by the name of Timothy. And Paul makes this statement that's found in chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Timothy. Paul writes, Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. Only one verse, but a verse that speaks volumes about the influences that a mother had on a life and the, and the impact that that had on another life that eventually had an impact in an even greater way on who knows how many lives. As I mentioned earlier, we only hear the names of these two ladies in that particular verse, but Paul references them a little bit later in chapter three of his book that we'll look at in a few moments. And then, and then Luke a great historian from the New Testament, also mentions these ladies. He doesn't mention them by name, but he again makes reference to them in his book that he wrote called Acts. And it's actually found in Acts chapter 16. And in that particular chapter, the the recording takes place around the time that, that many believe the Apostle Paul was on his second missionary journey where he returned to some of the cities that he had visited before During his first missionary journey. So so he had his first missionary journey and then three or four years later he goes back to visit some of those churches again. And Luke writes in Acts chapter 16 these words. He says, he, and he's talking about Paul. He says, he came to Derbe and Lystra where a disciple lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer but whose father was a Greek. And the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And this person they're speaking well of is this young man, Timothy. And Paul wanted to take him, Paul wanted to take Timothy along with him on this missionary journey. Now allow me to point out a couple of things for you from these verses. First, Paul returns to Lystra, which was the hometown of Timothy. Lystra had not been a very good place to Paul on his first missionary journey. Luke tells us just a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 14 that some Jews from some neighboring towns rolled in and turned the crowds against Paul. And when I say turned, I don't just mean that they made fun of him or they shouted at him or they convinced the people to stop listening to him. I mean, no, Luke tells us they actually stoned Paul, picked up rocks and threw them at him to the point that they thought they had killed him. And they drug his body outside the city because they didn't want this dead body of this guy they didn't like lying in their town. So they dragged his body out of the town thinking they have killed him when they stoned him. Now Luke goes on to tell us that that the disciples who were there at that point in time all gathered around Paul. I'm assuming that they probably thought Paul was dead as well. But you know what happened? (laughs) He got up. Paul somehow or another was revived and went back into to the city. Now Luke doesn't tell us what he did, but I can't imagine Paul snuck back into town, crawled into bed somewhere and licked his wounds through the night. Now Luke does go on to tell us that Paul did leave the next day and he headed to Derbe with his friend Barnabas and the disciples where they went and preached. But then he returns back to Lystra. He decides to go back to the town that just... Tried to kill him. But the scripture tells us that he went back there and when he did, he strengthened the disciples and he encouraged them to remain true to their faith. Now, Luke doesn't give us any information on this, but you know, the thought that ran through my mind, I wonder if Timothy's grandmother and his mother were there when this took place. we, we don't know that for sure. Were they some of the disciples who gathered around Paul as he laid outside that city that day, possibly thinking that he was dead? Don't know that one either. But I do believe that it's a safe bet to say that Timothy and his mom and his grandmother had probably heard the story of what took place or what happened to Paul on that first visit. Now, the second thing that you may have noticed in this particular passage out of uh, the book of Acts is that Timothy's father is not mentioned as a believer. All we know is that he is a Greek and he is not mentioned as being influential in the development of Timothy as a believer. But I do hope you take note of the fact that his lack of support, that the dad's lack of support did not keep his mom and his grandmother from having a great influence on their son and grandson. And making sure, as Paul put it, how from infancy he had been taught the truths of God's word. So what can we? Did you catch that? What can we You and me, male and female, moms and dads, grandmas and granddads, aunts or aunts, as y'all like to call them around here, uncles and friends, family. Yes, today is a day that we pause to honor mom, but it doesn't mean if you don't wear that title that you get to check out on me for the next 10 or 15 minutes, because what is the faith of the next generation worth? Everything. Everything. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this mother and this grandmother to help us impact this generation and the next? I think one of the things that we learn from them is that we must trust Christ and raise our children to trust Christ as well. Let me remind you of that first verse that we looked at from Paul's letter. He wrote, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, And I am now persuaded, lives also in you. As a parent, what is your responsibility to your child? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? According to FamilyResource.com, here are the eight essential parental responsibilities that you have as a parent you provide them an environment that is safe, you provide your child with basic needs, you provide your child with self esteem needs. You teach your child morals and values. You develop a mutual respect with your child. You provide discipline, which is effective and appropriate. You involve yourself in your child's education and you get to know your child. According to logicalspiritualism.com, here are the 10 parent responsibilities that you have. One, save money for your child's education. And if by chance you happen to be blessed with daughters, let me tell you now, go ahead and start saving for weddings as well, okay? Because they're getting expensive. Where you have weakness, we're supposed to give them strength. You need to pass along your strengths to your child, it says. You are to help your child explore. You're to help plan for your child. You're to discipline your child. You're to educate your child. You're to protect your child. You're to make your child a good and moral person, you're to give your child love. Anything missing in those lists? As a parent, your number one responsibility to your children is to lead them to Jesus. And folks, the only way that you can, know you can do that is that if you yourself know Jesus. Do you know him? Now that's not a trick question, but it is a big one. Do you know Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about, yeah, yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's the son of God. Yeah, they wrote some books about him. Yeah, he was a really good dude who helped a lot of people. Yeah, I've heard that he uh, rose from, from the dead. <laughs> Folks, I'm talking about do you know him? Is it an intimate personal one-on-one relationship? Is he your go-to? Is he your best friend? Is he your 3 a.m. friend? Is he your savior? But more importantly than that, is he your Lord? You see, it's hard to lead someone in something that you don't know. And I don't mean to step on anyone's toes this morning, because I often feel that I have not done a very good job of this myself. But if the faith of the next generation is worth everything, then how important is it for you and me to know Jesus? It's a verse found in the Old Testament, the old covenant that God had with the Jewish people. It's a verse that I'm sure Eunice and Lois had heard and read and probably been taught and had passed on to Timothy for years. The verse reads, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train them, lead them, when? When they are a child. But folks, even if that time has passed, it is not too late to train them and lead them to Jesus, but we can only do it if we know him and how to get to him. I think we also learn from these ladies that it's important that we possess a strong faith and that we model that faith to our kids. Here's what we know about these two ladies. They knew Jesus. And because they knew him, they had a faith and a trust in Jesus that was handed down from generation to generation to generation. Was it a faith that that knew all the answers? Mm, Probably not. Was it a faith that, that maybe didn't have questions or doubts? Probably not. Was it a faith that was it was perfect? Probably not. Was it a faith that, that stumbled and, and struggled? I'm gonna guess probably so. But it was a faith that gave them strength to endure, to endure a marriage that was not accepted or welcomed in their day and time. Good Jewish girls didn't marry Greek boys. Good religious girls didn't hang out with those non-believing Gentiles, but this one did. And my guess is that when she did, she was ostracized by her family, quite possibly cut off from all of them, possibly even her mom, but I can't state that for certainty. But what I do know is that Lois's faith had a huge impact on Eunice's faith, and in turn, it had a major impact on Timothy's faith. It was also a faith that had the courage to hang in there when they saw fellow believers being attacked and pushed to the brink of death. I mean, can you imagine being there that day that Paul is attacked and then drug out of town and left for dead? Would that have impacted your faith? Would that have impacted your trust in Jesus Christ? And can you imagine three or maybe four years later, Paul comes back to town and then allowing your son possibly your only son, to venture off with him, knowing that he might endure the same kind of things, beatings and torture and stoning and hatred and cursing and imprisonment, and the list could go on and on. But I believe their faith was an encouragement. Their strong faith was an encouragement to Timothy as he set out on that missionary journey with Paul. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like for Timothy as he traveled all over that part of the world alongside Paul? What it must have been like as he began to see the crowds form, as they began to shout in protest what he and Paul were preaching. What it must have been like sleeping along the roads that they traveled, knowing that they were littered with robbers who were looking to take advantage of anyone that they could. How do you think Timothy made it through all of that? He made it through because he knew Jesus. The same Jesus that his mom and his grandmother knew and the same one that you and I know, but he knew him because he had been taught about him since he was a little boy. He heard, and he watched, and he learned it, and it helped him to possess and have a strong faith. Paul reminded Timothy of the tough things that can come our way in life. In the third chapter of his book there, 2 Timothy, Paul said these words. He says, you know all about my teaching, you know about my way of life. You know about my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know about the persecutions. You know about the sufferings. You know, the ki- you know all about the kinds of things that have happened to me, Paul wrote. The things that I endured. And you know, Paul said, that the Lord rescued me from all of them. And then just a verse or two later, Paul says, So Timothy, continue in what you have learned continue in what you have been taught, continue in what you have been trained in and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, your mom and your grandma. It was a strong faith that had been modeled for him for years by those who loved him and those he loved. Let me ask you this morning, what does your faith look like when you find yourself in tough situations? What do those around you see? Things at work are tough. Do others see someone who is giving more than required to make things better, or do they see someone who just piles on the complaints and gripes and, and looks to blame other people? Things are hard at home. Do others see someone who says, I said for better or for worse? Or do they see someone who says, you know, I deserve to be happy. Things are not going like you want in life. Do others see someone who puts their head down and continues to push through? Or do they see someone who's ready to blame everyone, including God, because things aren't going like you want them to, or like you think they should be going? Folks, if we want our kids and others around us to have a strong faith. We have to show them what faith and trust is like in the good times and in the bad times. One more thing that we learn from these ladies. We must plant our kids in the scripture so they will know how to walk in Christ day by day. Let me finish this little section of 2 Timothy chapter 3 for you. I started it a moment ago. Paul wrote, So continue in what you have learned, continue in what you have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And then he adds these words, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For how long had Timothy been learning about Jesus and what having faith and trust in him looked like since infancy? The Greek word that Paul uses here is the word babe or baby you didn't think you were going to get out of here today without some greek did you (laughs) since you were a babe since you were a baby you have known the holy scriptures paul said and how do we think timothy knew them i I doubt it was because he was some kind of a baby genius and it was just all implanted there now he knew them and he learned them and they helped him come to a saving grace in christ jesus because his grandmother and his mother taught them to him train up a child They had heard and they had done their best to do that. Train them up by educating them, by protecting them, by making them a good moral person. Train them up by providing for them and giving them what they need and making sure they have a safe place. Don't get me wrong, folks. All of those things are important. But you know what Jesus says? Luke records these words in the 21st chapter of his book where Jesus says, here is something that you can take to the bank, folks. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I've never been there, but I've been told there's a pine tree that grows in the North Cascades National Park in Marble Mount, Washington. Beside this particular tree is a sign that states that during the first five years of its life, that tree only grows one foot above ground, while its roots grow four to five feet deep. Roots that will be able to hold that tree in place. Roots that will be able to find deep waters during times of drought and dry seasons. Roots that will help keep that tree alive even as it endures some extremely tough times during its life. Timothy became the man he was because of the influence of his grandmother and his mother who started him early sharing the scriptures because they knew how important they would be in his life as he grew older. So what are you doing to help those that God has entrusted to your care to know his word? The sole responsibility of this doesn't lie with our children's ministry staff here at Capital City or any church across our country. As Lisa said a moment ago, churches, if we're lucky, get your kids one to two or maybe even four hours a week if we're lucky. And we're gonna do our best to impart to them God's word, but the responsibility falls to you and me the ones that God has blessed these children with. So what, what is the faith of the babies who we dedicate today worth? And what is the faith of the kids in our preschool ministry worth? And what is the faith of the kids in our elementary ministry worth? And what is the faith of the students in our middle school and high school ministry worth? And what is the faith of every person who has not claimed Jesus as Lord and their Savior worth everything. Then what will you do to have an impact on that life? It may need to start by you trusting Jesus and giving your life to him. It's hard to teach someone about something that you don't know. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then maybe that's where you need to start today. Or maybe you need to take a step of faith And do something that you've been resisting that you know God is wanting you to do. Take that step of faith and be an example for loved ones, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. Take that step, maybe just what you need and what someone else needs to see as well. A few weeks ago, I attended the funeral visitation for a young man who I've known for 25 plus years. He was in my children's ministry and he was in my student ministry for a period of time. He played on a soccer team that I had the opportunity to coach for five or six years. But in high school, that young man ran into problems. Some of it may have been because of the kids that he chose to hang around, but ultimately, the decisions that he made, the choices that he made were his. His life was extremely messy. There was rehab, there was prison, there was failed relationships. It was a troubled and tough life. And it breaks my heart to stand before you today and say, I don't know. I don't know where that young man is. And because of that, I want to live the rest of my life doing everything I can, short of sin to bring everyone I know into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what is the faith of every person that I know, that you know, who doesn't know Jesus worth? Everything.